0: And this is for our podcast, correct? Or this is going on your podcast or both? Good good question. Like we're open to whatever. Yeah. I think we should record it and see what fits. But like by default, I think it'll definitely work on our feed. If you guys feel good about it on your feed, I think great. Just dual purpose it. Great. I love it. Okay. Uh, are we rolling then?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road less
0: travel, never looking back. Let's do a quick uh quick intro. So uh I've never I've actually never met you guys, but like I think most people for this podcast, I've heard you guys talking uh, and actually just say like five words into your mic. Your mic setup is like godly. I don't know what, I don't know if it's your voice or your mic, but something is perfect. It's, it's so all it's like just, we. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, Listen it, to that. If it were like, if I were running the tech side of acquired, we would still be like talking into our, into our MacBooks. So uh. yeah. But
2: <laughs> fortunately we have David's uh, dulcet tones and buttery voice that right. kind of complete the, the equation.
0: And Ben, you have the uh, like kind of soundproof panels in the background and stuff like that. I, I just like roll out of bed and push go and see if it works. <laughs> All right. So we have David and Ben here with us. These guys host the Acquired podcast, which is we'll talk a little bit about that. So you do that. You're also venture capitalist from what I understand, if I remember correctly in the from the podcast. Correct. And um, the podcast. I So I used to listen to a bunch of it at the beginning because I'll tell you a funny story. We have a guy in our in our office at our startup named Jason. And um, Jason is great in all these different ways. He's super enthusiastic. He's a go-getter. He'll make shit happen. He's very creative. Uh, but the one thing that Jason was always uh, like kind of the punching bag in of the office was he would always say the wrong – like he would always have his facts wrong. So he would be like, oh – Um, you know, that's, you know, they got bought by this company and we're like, no, it was this other company or they raised this number. And it's like, nope, that's not (laughs) the right number. So he was always like getting fact checked. And then one day Jason started coming in with just these knowledge bombs and we were like, that's not right. Wait, that is right. And I was like, how did you know that backstory? Like, did you research this? Like, I didn't understand. And then I realized the secret. He was listening to y'all's podcast. And he was, you know, basically what you guys do is you tell the story of great kind of acquisitions in tech history and um, and you go through kind of like very methodically, you like research it well and you tell a very good linear story with no plot holes. And so Jason all of a sudden had this superpower where he was telling these perfect renditions of what went down. And that's I was amazing. like, "What the fuck is going on?" And so that's <laughs> why I was like, "Okay, what's this podcast uh, that you listen to?" So I listened to a few of them. I haven't listened recently. I know you guys have been you've oh, pumped out a ton of them. You get, we got to hop back
1: in because we're not just acquisitions anymore. We realized these stories, like we were limiting ourselves with just acquisitions, because right. well, we'll get into so, this. So with what did you, you expand like, to? You know acquisitions are a limited part of the universe so we just did epic
2: games uh we did spacex like those are like so it's
0: just like success story in addition to acquisition story type of thing
2: yeah the the goal is that we tell the story of like the obviously the very deep story of any sort of great company but then also try and understand the playbook of why it worked
0: right I love I loved them. I've listened to a bunch where you had like a three-parter and I'm like, "Oh man, this is so deep. I love it." <laughs> and then I was like, and then I sort of switched my habits in general, uh where I was like, um okay, I don't want to get smarter. I just want to escape. Uh so now yeah. my podcast listening is like I need junk food. Uh that's how I listen to my podcast now. Oh, and I feel so like I
1: totally.
0: I just go for like more entertainment, less information, but I know there's a bunch of people who listen to this that would actually really dig that cuz they want to hear the stories. They want the real information. And that's what you guys provide in a very good good way. So, anyways, that's my uh, my, my genuine shout well, out for we, we gotta say too, podcast. Y-
1: Your guys' show is awesome. We love it, uh, and one of the reasons for, a) you're just like good. You guys have great flow, and chemistry. Like you're awesome. Uh, but b) it's such a good counterpart to like what we do on Acquired. Like we tell this like <laughs> this like certain part of like the internet like history and like as it exists, and it's like these big, huge, flashy companies. But like. There's a million ways to skin the cat. And like there's so many other good businesses out there and so many other people working, doing amazing things that are never going to be SpaceX. But like that's cool. Like, you know, I'll bend like your Golden Hippo episode. I
0: love that one. Right. Yeah, yeah. On one hand you have the story of SpaceX and then the other hand you have like you know this guy who's in Iowa who's doing a drone light show company and just local, <laughs> you know, rural, rural Iowa, and uh, you know making two million dollars a year. And you know he quit his job as a construction worker before that. You know that that's the sort of other end of the spectrum of like cool success stories that are just different flavors. Yeah,
1: it's so cool you guys find these and you you know you bring these folks on the show and this is awesome.
0: Okay, so yeah, we I agree also, our podcasts are great. We love it. <laughs> Sorry, go
2: ahead, Ben. I was gonna say like I also just like that it feels more like classic i'll say classic american but classic entrepreneurship like right we've lumped in entrepreneurship to become this thing that involves tons of money a winner take all market in all likelihood failing and flaming out you know fabulously and <laughs> by telling everyone they should go do that you just set most people up for failure whereas It's not, as long as you're really focused, you really listen to your customers, you really iterate, you're really capital efficient, like going and achieving a million dollar a year, top line business, like lots and lots and lots of people do that and can do that and should think they can do that. And so I I love that reminder in our lives.
0: Yeah. I would say like, um, Naval has this really like money line when he's talking, or I don't know who he stole it from. I think it was like Nassim Taleb or something when he was like, (laughs) you know, um, they're like, you know, what's your political stance? He's like, well, with my family, I'm a communist. With my friends, I'm a socialist. With my, you know, my city or my town, I'm a Democrat. And, when, you know, I'm a libertarian at the, at the federal level or whatever. And it's just a great, yeah, it's a, it's a it's just a money quote. But I have sort of a similar thing in entrepreneurship. It's the, the, the you know, the poor man's version of that, which is, you know, if I invest, I go for the billion dollar, the potential billion dollar companies. If I'm advising somebody to start something, I advise the types of things we brainstorm on the podcast all the time, which are these, you know, small niche businesses that can generate a ton of cash flow. And then when I do it myself, I just go solopreneurship and I just create content that I think, you know, a lot of people can love. And I don't have to talk to, I don't have to like have employees or an office. Uh, That's my dream. Right. And so there's, there's these different flavors that you each is good for a different purpose and for a different person. So Anyways, that's my view on it. And so you guys reached out the other day and you were like, hey, it'd be fun to do kind of a crossover episode. I think that's a great idea. So you came on and I was like, okay, what are we going to do? Are you guys going to come on and tell great stories? And I'm just sitting here with my popcorn because I'm down for that. But (laughs) actually, you guys came with a bunch of ideas. And so I want to jump in and uh, riff through a bunch of these. And like normally the way me and Sam do it is just like you have here. We just have a sheet with like a bunch of bullet points that like you don't even understand the full idea just from the bullet point. And we'll just say, like, okay, what you got? And then one person will riff on one. And then that's when we're bored of it, it, we just say, all right, I got another one. This and this you, just, so you just keep for going. us
1: because it's like we don't get to do this on Acquired anymore. Like,
0: we right, Anti-Acquired.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is awesome.
0: <laughs> this is like, you know, when, like, a uh, successful business person goes to Burning Man or Mardi Gras yes. or something. It's like, oh, I get to let my hair down and just, you know, shoot the shit on half-baked ideas that will totally not work, most likely. <laughs> yep, that's what <laughs> this is. Uh, uh, awesome. Cool. So so when you guys get excited about ideas or you know some of the stuff you sent over, you know what what's what's on your mind? What are you guys seeing as interesting? Let's let's jump in with some of these different ideas you got.
2: Yeah, so I'll uh, uh, I'll start because I I have your your Naval quote sort of inspired. Um, I have a very bifurcated lens on the way that I look at ideas, and I don't think I realized it until recently that. Um, so I should give a little bit of background. So uh, I started a thing called Pioneer Square Labs five years ago. We're a startup studio where we spin out um, companies, all of which go on to get venture-backed. We've done that 24 times in the last five years, uh, and we're based in, in Seattle. So I'm um, really looking to make a dent in, uh, in the entrepreneurial ecosystem in the Northwest. So we're coming up with ideas all the time to, too. Yeah, so then we also have the venture fund, PSL Ventures, where we invest in early stage companies in, in the Northwest, and so uh, and many that we have nothing to do with starting. And so uh, I sort of sit on both sides of the house of coming up with ideas and also evaluating ideas that are not my own. Mm-hmm. And I, I have um, a massive bias with my own ideas where I'm excited about it no matter the market potential if i can fully conceive of how to build it in my head and how it will deliver value to me as a customer and like right. i it's probably the engineering background but like i i put on my blinders real quick and just go heads down and i have to like fight every instinct like david will be like hey i think there's this really big way we can move the needle for acquired and pitch me this big grand plan and okay. i'll be like yeah but i need to fix the way that Headers look on our website, and like I have a really good idea for how to do that. And sorry, I need two hours now. And so, like, <laughs> I have a massive bias towards things I can fully conceive of, and and will be satisfied with. But the I think value this of. idea
1: you have is a, is a really good one. So... Okay.
2: <laughs> but the I think I think the way that I like think about um, or evaluate other ideas is definitely Sean in that same way that you thought about like. You know, is this is this winner take all? Is this going to be a massive thing? Is this a moonshot idea? And and the scary part that always comes along with that is like, well, if this is a really good idea and now just happens to be the perfect moment in time where someone can do this, are these people the people that are going to pull it off out of all the other people who are also thinking of this rare moment in time where there's a good idea that hasn't yet been done? And right. like that, uh, that's almost disheartening, right? Because then you scope down the universe super, super narrowly. Um, and, uh, and, you know, most of the time what you're doing is is saying now I'll, I'll wait for the next one. And that's right. a frustrating um, and, and sometimes disheartening uh, um, job. But uh, I, I think that finding that spot in the middle where you can sort of believe in other people's ideas as much as you do your own that you get excited about and apply the same amount of skeptical rigor that you do to things you're being pitched to things you come up with that's sort of where the magic lies in the middle
0: yeah I I I would agree uh also when you said that thing about like kind of the way you two uh are, are different it reminded me of this um you know all right take a shot I said framework framework that um uh, that I heard one time that has always stuck with me. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but uh, Bill Gross, who's the founder yeah, of Idea Lab, he's kind of like yeah. inter, inter, you know Internet OG. He gave this talk once, and he talked about have you have you heard this about the four kind of personalities that that come together to make a company? No, no. So so basically, he says every company needs these four personalities, and they come in a certain order. So he, it's called EPAI. So uh, not a great acronym, but. It works, and so EPAI. So E is the entrepreneur. So he gives this analogy: you're sitting in a room. So say you're sitting in a classroom, and one kid is going to look out the window, and it's just you know there's just a there's just grass outside. But somebody's going to look at that grass and say, you know what? There should be a parking lot there. And uh, you know we all come into work, we all come to school every day, and parking is such a hassle. there should be a parking lot there. It could be six stories high. We should build a parking lot. And so the entrepreneur comes up with a vision, see something before it exists based on you know a pain point or a personal dream. Then they have P, which kind of sounds like you, Ben, which is the producer. So producer is somebody who gets along extremely well with with the E. Uh, they're not usually the one necessarily to come up with the, the kind of visions every single time, uh, but they're very good at downloading the vision. They hear the vision. They say, yep, got it, makes sense. And their brain immediately goes to, Oh, by the way, six floors. No, no, no. What it should be is two different structures that mm. each have this, you know, whatever. They start immediately, their brain starts building uh, building that vision out. And they're going to be able to take words and turn it into, you know, some form of action. So he draws these curves. Like if, uh, if it's just the E alone, there's this initial value because they come up with a vision. And then it sort of peters right. out and goes nowhere because there's no production. But then if you have the E and the P, the P jumps in after the initial value is created and takes it to the next level. But then if you just have the two of them... Um, your, your venture will be a mess because you need the uh, A, which is an, actually an administrative type of person. A type of person who says, okay, great. We have a vision. We have a, a, a plan of production. We're actually going. We have six employees. But if no one's doing payroll, if no one's feeding anybody, <laughs> if nobody's like writing things down about our plan, like we're screwed. We got to get organized here. And so you need A. A takes it to the next level. And then the last one is i i is the student who's not even looking out the window it's just looking at the other three people being like you guys need to learn how to work together and it's the <laughs> integrator um and so the, the i is this amazing person who can figure out okay how do we get this group of talented people to be cohesive uh, over time huh. and how do we you know one person's thinking one thing another person's thinking another thing how do we get alignment and so i've and i found this in my startups too and I, what the reason i bring it up is because uh, it's really useful to know which one you're great at, which one your superpower is. Yeah. So then you'll know who to partner with and when to partner with them. Yeah. Like an I at the beginning does nothing for you, but an I right. is great kind of at the end of that cycle. Um, you know, same sort of thing. Yeah. So anyways, I, I just wanted oh, to share that's that. Awesome. When do
1: you think you need the A's and the I's?
0: Uh, so from my experience, you don't need them unless you hit product market fit. So sometimes the E is totally off base. You didn't need a parking lot at all or, you know, you, you build the parking lot, but you didn't have a plan to you know, get customers. Uh, so it's once your once your product is being pulled by the market. So once the demand is pulling uh, more of the product faster than you can produce it or asking for more features than you can keep up with, but they're actually using your, your thing. That's when you start to need a, and then you need, I, as the team grows to a certain size, right? Because a two person team, you don't even need meetings. You're just constantly in sync. You're just sharing a brain message. And then once you, once you even get to six, six is like, Oh shit. Uh, we all are doing different (laughs) things. We all need to talk more. And then there's this rule. I forgot what it's called, but like every time the size of your team doubles, the communication required is, is like a square. So like, um, as you get you know, from 6 to 12, you don't need double the communication. You need you know, quadruple the communication or whatever. Uh, yeah, and a, I, I've seen that a, to be true.
2: In a perfect world or an a, uh, easy-to-model scenario where every person in the organization must communicate equally with everyone else in the organization, uh, then the number of communicating lines is right. proportional to the
0: square of the number of people in the organization. Exactly, because it's a network, right? So every node needs multiple connections to all the other nodes or at least to different hubs. And so it creates all these different lines that you need to to work on. And that's where the A and the I help a lot. Because the A is like, hey, let's write things down so other people can read this. And the I is like, hey, here's like a common way to write things down. So we're all say- saying the same thing and have the same bar for, right. you know, what it takes to say yes to a project or whatever it is.
3: All right. Today's episode is brought to you by Tempo. Tempo.fit is the website. I actually use this. I've used this for a few months now and it's this machine that has a touchscreen and this 3D sensor. And what it does is they give you weights, like 115 pounds in weights, and it's for strength training. So what it is, is it measures your body and it sees how much weight you're lifting. It sees how many reps you're doing and how much effort you're putting in, what your heart rate is. It's pretty amazing. And then you have a coach on screen walking you through what to lift, how many to lift, what workout to do, whether you want to do a 20-minute, 10-minute, 50-minute workout. It's pretty amazing but the best part is the leaderboard the other stuff all the features that they have that's cool but i'm obsessed with the leaderboard because it measures how many reps you're doing and how much volume you're doing and you can compete with other people who have taken the same class so it's made me want to work harder lift more weight or have more endurance it's just pretty freaking fun and the whole point of working hard is to have money so you can spend it on stuff that will make you live longer and this product tempo it checks that box for me so they're our sponsor today if you use the code tempo hustle you'll get a hundred dollars off. So tempo.fit is the URL and tempo hustle, one word, you'll get $100 off. So check it out. I use it. If you look me up on Twitter, you'll see I'm always filming videos where I'm talking to that company saying I'm trying to crush their employees on the leaderboard because I actually love this thing and and I use it all the time. So check it out. Huh. Uh, okay. Yeah. Frame,
2: frame, framework hour over. <laughs> <laughs> All <laughs> right, everyone, little... uh, come back from business school. Let's uh, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I get real academic about That's these amazing. things. In reality, you don't need to know any of this shit. You just got to go yeah. and you know. <laughs> in, in when you look back on it, you'll say, "Oh yeah, that matches up to what I did." But it's not like you go forward saying, "I got to be a better P." You know, it doesn't doesn't work that way. So, uh, anyways, you guys had a bunch of ideas. Let's let's riff off the first one. What do you got?
2: So. Uh, we thought about talking about some of the stuff that's more directly related to our show here, but people seem to come on your show and then throw out their latest, like, brainstormed idea and, uh, right. and shoot the shit about it. And so I figured well, that would be a fun thing for us to do here. <laughs> and so I tried to apply my own, um, criteria of what's a thing that occurs to me that I want in the world that the time is now. Uh, and I can see sort of a path to how to accomplish it. And the the uh, the gist of the idea is I want to book an Airbnb or a VRBO, and all it tells me is whether it has internet or not. And that is completely <laughs> useless in the world of I sit on Zoom for eight hours a day. And right. so uh, I'm thinking this is like a totally bootstrappable, maybe even no-code thing where you just say, uh, hey, to get access to... Um, uh, it's basically ways for Wi-Fi, where whenever you're somewhere, you you know upload the geo coordinates. Maybe you put the address in. We'd have to figure out some um, security stuff around that. But you just take a screenshot of a of a speed test, and then we just have this big database of all these different places and uh, anyone who stayed there and the screenshots they've uploaded. And um, yeah, that's that's the basic gist.
0: So it's basically solving the problem of I need great internet because everything is done through zoom and so when i'm out and about i need trust i need a trusted source to know where my internet is going to be good versus okay versus whatever you know whatever i I have particularly when
1: you're uh when you're like traveling working remote like uh we did this my wife and i went to santa barbara for a month rented an an airbnb for a month bed you're doing this
0: later it's like tons of people
1: are doing this now isn't sam's doing this right
0: yeah sam's you know nomadically you know bouncing around every two weeks or three (laughs) weeks i think um
2: yeah i mean it's this classic cold start problem of like what a useless website you've created ben there's zero entries on here so you got to figure out some way to sort of bootstrap that that cold start problem um but right. i think the data entry is is really easy and you can do cool stuff over time like charting how it's gone up and down and um and at the very least you can probably create like five to ten spots in every city where like super nerds who saw this on Product Hunt uploaded data for the first time so it it has like a pretty low bar for minimum efficient scale
0: right would you literally build it on, uh, like, based off of what Airbnb inventory is? So Airbnb tells you does it have Wi-Fi or not, which is kind of useless. Um, right. It's like yes, if it doesn't have Wi-Fi, just take it off the site. If it has Wi-Fi, uh, okay, that doesn't tell me if it's going to work but for what I need.
2: It could be the sight glass art, uh, coffee argument of like, oh, we we've created this experience for you that is Wi-Fi free, so you can. But yes, that's not at all what we're looking for right right <laughs> so it's funny
1: so Ben put this on our list last night uh where, where we were brainstorming these ideas and um and I was like holy shit did you have you, did you talk to this guy we, we both know who's super awesome in Seattle because uh, I just talked to him yesterday afternoon he was also thinking about this idea and I like oh no I didn't and uh I think it just speaks to like the timing and the need for this is so acute right now I mean of the four of us on our two shows three of us have done this in the past right. like couple months or are gonna do it now in covid like this this went from like yeah like it would be you know it's really nice when i get good air good wi-fi at my airbnb to like no i need this right uh
0: yeah wi-fi is you know up there with food and water as far as i'm concerned totally. so we forget covid i always need great wi-fi and if i don't i'm like you know I have to like you know, take take a time uh, time out for five minutes and be like, am, am I really this upset about the Wi Fi? I'm like, yes, I. Am. Okay, so here's what and I, I think have to like cool rebound, like, bounce back.
1: Totally doable. You could stand this up on Webflow and you know do a little bit of other no code stuff in the background. Maybe a little bit of code that you add over time. Um, this could be this could be a wedge into something more interesting though right like you know on its own great you can build this it's a little product maybe you charge for it i think you probably better monetize this with affiliate for um mm-hmm. uh for airbnb listings and VRBO listings and the like um i wonder though if you could actually use this to bootstrap inventory of places and have it then become its own network of like oh you want long-term you know, uh, Ben and my buddy was calling it workations, you know, you're, you're, you're doing this, like, here is where the best places for this are. Well, you start to onboard a little bit of that supply and maybe all of a sudden it becomes its own network. Just kind of like hip camp has kind of offloaded a lot of the, uh, the, you know, true camping type experiences off and glamping off of Airbnb.
0: Maybe you can start to disaggregate it. Right. You know, the the two ways I was thinking about this when you because you just wrote a very simple thing like Wi-Fi site for Airbnb. I didn't know what that meant. I thought <laughs> my, my brain actually went to a different thing. I didn't know you meant Wi-Fi website. I thought you meant Wi-Fi site. So like oh. first my first thought was around Hip Camp, which is like, is there just a cool outdoor area where I can be? outdoors and sitting and comfortable but have amazing wi-fi and it's like i don't actually want to go camping but i do want to be like not in my room anymore and so like you know could i be outdoors (laughs) could i have great could i be outdoors and have great wi-fi like that already is like i love outdoors and i love great wi-fi and they rarely come together and so if you could create these wi-fi sites that were awesome that were just comfortable places to go sit uh, maybe there's little food trucks around there or whatever. Um, I think you could build kind of like this weird outdoor co-working thing. Um, I'd love to see somebody like take a, take a shot of trying yes, one of these. Awesome. The other, the other angle I thought you guys might be going is like sort of that Boingo wireless or whatever that's called, which is like, you know, they went to, you know, airplanes or, um, you know, there's a version of this for coffee shops, which is like, Hey, look, everybody who comes here wants Wi-Fi. And uh, better Wi-Fi than you're providing, we will give free Wi-Fi in exchange for you know their email, and um, you could potentially do that with Airbnb hosts. So you could basically mm-hmm. say, hey, we will boost your Wi-Fi um, through mm-hmm. either those kind of mesh networks, uh, mesh network routers, or just like provide Wi-Fi where you don't have Wi-Fi, and um, in exchange, we so basically run this little service. Either you charge five bucks a night for the for Wi-Fi, or you. Get that plus their data, and then you use that as like kind of the way Boingo does. So that's actually what I thought you were you were initially saying. But um, oh, I don't know if there's dude, a. There or I there. think
1: that's a that's a, a a valuable service itself. But if you did the like if you were trying to build your own network of longer term rental properties, this would be a great growth hack. You'd say, "Come on my network, I'll pay for you to upgrade your Wi-Fi," uh, right, and uh, and then that's how you can onboard the supply.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's an interesting point of like, how do you either onboard new supply? Like, okay, you've got a, whatever, you've got a backyard and now that now backyards are cool. Um, or it's (laughs) how do you give supply that was like unviable? How do you make it viable with some like investment that you could pay back in two, two night visits? You know, like, could you pay back? Uh, could you pay that back in that short amount of time? Um, I don't know, hard, hard space, but there's there might be something there. Uh, let's jump to a, a different one. I'm going to pick a r- uh, random... Wait, can board. I go meta
2: on this one for a second? Yeah, go for it. I, I love... I guess this is moving to a different idea, but I love that we wrote down Wi-Fi site for Airbnbs, and there was three different ideas that came out of that <laughs> purely because there's insufficient information, so you like apply creativity yes. and fill in the gaps. And the uh, it reminds me of... Um, I ha- the very first time I did anything noteworthy on the internet uh, was I made this website called it's this for dot com as a joke <laughs> at a startup weekend because every single pitch was well it's this for that in like 2009 and uh, it was like the first time I got TechCrunch so we still maintain the websites my buddy Eric and I and it's like it just comes up with random X for Y pitches. And as you just like click to refresh, it's like a startup meme generator. And I've like come up with some pretty decent ideas after looking at very few words and then trying to extrapolate from there.
0: Dude, I've been to this website, so I just went to it now. Uh, so I, so I, got, I went to it. The first one is, so basically it's like Airbnb for stolen goods. <laughs> the next one. <laughs> the next one is, so basically it's Salesforce for coffee shops. Don't know what that means. can make it up. Uh, <laughs> and so actually we've played a similar game. We uh, There's a there's a game, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, called PowerPoint Karaoke. Uh, yes. Have you ever played this? Yeah. It's I, I think there's different variations of how you do this, but there's a startup variation of it, which is, you know, somebody gets up, there's a PowerPoint deck behind them and they don't know what it is. They, they they come in totally cold. And so they see the first slide and they just have to start talking as if this is their presentation. And then the next slide comes up and they have to connect it to whatever the hell they were saying, you know, about the previous slide and like create a cohesive story. Uh, it's a good muscle to exercise, it's like improv for business. And, um, you know, you could do this with startup pitches as well. You could literally just remix, you know, take one deck of cards, which is like Successful internet companies and another deck of cards, which are just like niches, and you could just like pull two different cards and pitch it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of surprising how some Dude, someone, pretty viable someone ideas. Someone do
2: come that out as a like startup comedy podcast. <laughs> Although I guess I think you a guys, I think you guys
0: are ready. You guys are ready to spin it yeah. off.
1: <laughs> oh boy! All
0: right, what's so what we got what we got up you, next? So you have one in here, Spac Index Fund. Tell me what oh, you're that's thinking. Another Ben special.
2: So, uh. Hear me out on this, and I don't know how long the opportunity exists to do this, but at least for the moment, there's this rush of everyone um, who has sufficient uh, connection to capital, raising that capital into a SPAC and hoping in the next two years that they can leverage l- relationships with entrepreneurs to get a deal done and take someone public. And I, I, you've probably talked about SPACs on your show. We've talked about it in our LP program, so I don't want to go yep. into too much detail about the mechanics. But- um, I think if you were to bet on SPACs as a whole and say, you know, they're they're they all go public, they trade right around $10 a share because they're effectively worth exactly the amount of cash that they have in the bank, which is a trust in the Cayman Islands or something that's like untouchable. And then at some point they announce an acquisition and you either can redeem and get your money back or you can roll it into the acquisition. And so in general, like I think we're going to see 20 plus of these sort of like series C or later startups go public through this mechanism of SPACs in the next, I don't know, a couple of years. And um, there's two levels of appreciation here. There's the first one where, you know, you buy in at at $10 a share and then there's a pop when they announce who they're going to buy. So you could play the pop game if you want to and then just cash out immediately after that. Or you could play the longer-term game and say, do you want to hold the basket of startups that went public in the 2020-2021 vintage and and hope that there's a, a Zoom in there? And I think it'd be... Uh, to me, it feels like a reasonable upside, super mitigated downside type of way to index.
0: Yes. Uh, I love this idea. When I saw it, this is the opposite where I had no... Um, and there was no question marks about what this idea was. I was like, oh, good idea, interesting. Um, also, I was curious I don't know if you guys know what are the mechanics of starting an index? Can I create an index? Uh, do you need to be a certain person? Is there a certain Ooh. bar? How does that work? Do you know? Oh,
2: damn, someone should create uh, angel list for public equity indexes, right? Like, like or it, I I just maintain so an index and get some carry?
0: Yeah, because like you know, a, a bunch of people are trying to do this with like you know, on Robinhood or public.com, this new website or whatever, yep. where it's like this new app where. You know, I go invest in a basket of stocks. You can kind of follow me. It's a social network. But like, fuck the social network part. Like, I think that's a little bit weak, honestly. Um, I think that more interesting is I listen to this podcast. I'm like, wow, Ben and David are so smart. You know what I want to do? I just want to own whatever stocks that they own. And I want to basically buy their index that they created and uh, just roll with them in their portfolio. Like, kind of like a money manager. But if you guys were basically curating an index over time, um, I, I, I think that that would be it'd be interesting if you could a- create an Angelus-like platform where it was very trivial for somebody to create their own index and let others in- invest into it. I might've also just invented hot. a mutual fund. I'm not sure. This also <laughs> feels like,
1: so I don't know the answer to how you do this, although I should, but I used to work at Dow Jones and the, which I used to work at the Wall, at Dow Jones, which the Wall Street Journal is part of Dow Jones. It's part of News Corp. Um, and uh, while I was there, we sold the indexes business. So, the dow jones index is now owned which is a garbage index and no one should pay any attention to it but um but it was a billion dollar (laughs) business within dow jones so billion dollar top line basically no expenses like it was all just pure money. and and what it was it was just a marketing thing it was like you get to use the
0: dow name like that's so it's like a license like a licensing thing yeah Oh, that um, is wow. absurd! Yeah, totally. who's who's paying for that license? Who pays to to be able to put the Dow Jones? And is it like CNBC has to pay to put the Dow Jones index that's on the screen or what? I don't
1: I don't know exactly the answer. I think it's I don't think like CNBC or like media properties have to pay for it because I think that, that 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 they're just that's just public. But I think if you want to incorporate that index in your data of whatever like product you're using or whatever, right? Then you got to pay that licensing fee. Or if right. you yeah, want to data brand, like, yeah. hey, you know, Dow Jones was a powerful brand, like the Dow Jones XYZ, whatever, mutual fund, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's
0: interesting. Uh, you know, th- this reminds me, I had this meeting once where this guy came to our office and he was like, yeah, I'm the CEO of NASDAQ. I think it was NASDAQ, maybe New York Stock Exchange. And I was like, I was like, wait, NASDAQ has a CEO, I guess. Okay, that <laughs> makes sense. Like, you know, so NASDAQ, like, what? wait, what the fuck is NASDAQ? And he's like, well... But because I just had always heard of NASDAQ through the kind of like it's kind of like you hear Dow Jones. It's like, oh, this is just a sort of a, a name we give to track the market. And I didn't really fully at the time. I had no idea that, first of all. There's multiple exchanges. They're highly competitive with each other. They hate each other. And they're constantly, you know, trying to fight for different IPOs. And then, But the part I did, I kind of knew that part. But the part I didn't know was that they license their technology. They're like, yeah, we power the stock exchange in Sweden and 40 other countries. And we make, you know, a billion dollars a year or whatever the number is, uh, just licensing our stock exchange technology to other countries for their stock exchange. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is a... This is a great business, actually, because (laughs) it has this ultra-powerful brand in the U.S. And then it just becomes like, you know, and they built this technology stack. There's very few competitors to it. and, And then it becomes kind of like the... Um, you know, n of one company around what what should I use to run our stock exchange? And there's going to be no switching. I bet, like, I bet nobody wants to switch the sort of full stack they're using to run their oh, stock totally. exchange. That would be crazy, yeah. right? So you have extreme pricing power. And I was like, wow, this is an amazing business. I was like, could you compete with this? And that was right around the time that Eric Reese launched the long-term oh, stock yeah, exchange. We've had him on our show. It's great. Exactly, which is like just an amazing idea. Seems like it's been a little bit slow to market, as you would maybe expect. But turns um, out,
2: taking a stock exchange to market is not just uh, putting up a website, measuring clicks.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's no sort of uh, you know, for, ironically for the lean startup guy to do. Kind I of know, the, right? Yeah, I the, know. You're talking, it's like the, the ultimate irony. Exactly, no, no quick MVP. You know, just landing page with you know smoke and mirrors where there's no there's no product behind it. You can't do that. Uh, you know, Eric Reese will be in jail telling people about the lean startup in there. But, um, but anyways, I think the whole idea of stock exchanges is just a very interesting thing. Uh, I think a SPAC index fund is interesting, and I want to know how, how you create an index fund. I also kind of like the idea of AngelList, but for creating private equities instead of venture funds. Yeah. Um, also, I just think like. Who out there, some, some somebody out there is just doing like a SPAC newsletter right now and just taking advantage of all the SPAC keyword searches and uh, probably has built like a 50,000 person, pretty valuable there, email list.
2: There is, uh, it's called SPAC, is it SPAC Report? Let me look this up real quick. SPACresearch.com. The um, founder is an acquired uh, community member. And uh, uh, yeah, I think he's got, it's a it's a paywalled business. There's either some sort of trial or some sort of freemium thing, but yeah, he's, he's building a real business on it.
0: Yeah, I think totally you could do kind of the motley fool or whatever. You know, basically it's yeah. old, this is old solution, new problem, right? Okay, niche newsletter, paid newsletter—that's old solution, new problem. Everyone wants to know about SPACs, and there's not a definitive place to go find it, right? Like yeah. I remember in the crypto boom, uh, I ran into this guy who—you're
2: referring to this this past tense crypto boom. Yeah
0: yeah, crypto oh the <laughs> no, the boom the boom was a very specific time when, you know, yeah. money was flowing freely and my aunt in Virginia was like saying the word ethereum in oh, her Indian no. accent and I was like, "Oh shit, what the <laughs> hell's going on?" Um but there's this guy, his name's uh, Shaq, Shaq Khan and uh, Shaquille Khan and he he was like he's kind of this international man of mystery. He worked at Spotify and he did a bunch of random things that like nobody knows who he is, but he's just friends with all the old CEOs and like they hire him for like a special project of whatever that oh, means. He's the wolf from um, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, he, he's he's exact, exactly. He's the wolf. He's the one they call in. So during the initial Bitcoin run-up, when it was f- going from like $10 to $1,000, everybody was trying to figure out how do we create Bitcoin products? And he just created Coindesk. He was helping create oh, Coindesk. Yeah. He's just like, oh yeah, we should just create the news and information site and then we'll figure out from there what other opportunities we want to go to. But like first things first, let's create Bloomberg or CNBC for Bitcoin. And I was like, oh man, such a simple idea that could be executed because you're nimble and you're, you know, very responsive to where the world is going. Yep. Totally. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it fits, it definitely fits into that. uh, For anybody who hasn't read this thing, it's really, it's quite hard to discover because it's an archive of an old website, but it's uh, PM archive. Dot org And it's it's Mark Andreessen's... It's like a play on his handle. And it's his old blog before he started Andreessen Horowitz. And one of yeah. the amazing pieces of content on there, it's like a five-piece thing, is uh, his career advice, which of course starts with like, yes. you can't plan your career, so I refuse to give you any advice. But if I were to, <laughs> here's five articles on it. And one of the things is like... If your five smartest friends are getting together at two in the morning and going to Denny's because of something exciting that they're thinking about or something that's new in the world, go with them every time. And it's such a good, like, <laughs> yeah, litmus test go for, <laughs> if yeah, if pro rata has written about SPACs every single morning for the last two weeks, then like, it's probably a good time to start a SPAC media business if you feel well positioned to do so.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. That's a great call. There's, there's the other one that's like, uh, what nerds are doing on the weekends we'll all be doing you know five years from now the chris dixon thing yep. yeah. and uh you know wherever wherever a nerd engineer is spending their free time on the weekends tinkering that's that's the area of, of innovation because they just can't help themselves yep. and uh what do, what do you guys think would be that right now I, I think i know if i just think about my smartest friends and what they're doing uh i think i know one one answer of what i would say but it's there there are lulls where there's just no clear answer and then there's like clear yeah. periods where, where something emerges. Do you guys have something in mind or do you remember a time when when that was happening and you either were aware of it or you, you, you missed it?
2: So I have, uh, I mean, there's some, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a different answer than I think we're looking for here. My smartest friends who have means are working on climate problems right now. That's right. And I think like we can talk about GPT-3, we can talk about crypto stuff, we can talk about... Um, there there are other sort of frontier technology things at the moment, but probably five times in the last couple months, I've had really smart people that I've tried to recruit to start something with me to join a PSL company who are saying, like, uh, actually, after doing some reflecting, I'm going to go work on some climate stuff. And there's, there's no capital structure to support that. I mean, we have a whole – David, we did that deep dive on yeah, how – right uh energy uh, breakthrough energy stuff gets funded which is completely broken but um i that i've 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 got a have got a
1: company to talk about but but keep going
2: anyway that that's definitely the thing that occurs to me of like my smartest most well-intentioned and people with means and
0: yeah throw out a couple names that i've seen these aren't even people i know but uh, I know Jesse Jacobs just launched a rolling fund for yep. for climate. Yep. I know that uh, Josh Felser left Freestyle, I think, to work That's on right. you know, climate problems. I know that Yishan Wong, who's one of the smarter people, I like yeah. to read his his writings on stuff. He's been talking about this, working on this for a couple of years now. It was he was um,
1: like the CEO of
0: Reddit, right? At some point, either before he or was after the CEO of Reddit, Long it now. was kind of like early-ish Facebook, yeah. and then he became the CEO of Reddit for a while. And he's got this very simple website. I think it's just Yishan Yishan Wong, which is. Hard uh, to spell, he should give
2: uh, give a shot at BNCO Twitter for a little bit just to mix it up,
0: <laughs> round it all out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm still long so yeah, he's he's like
0: buying a plot of land in Hawaii or something like that and doing some radical experiment. Oh, awesome. uh, there's also this guy who the guy who created Control Labs, I think, um, yeah. which is they got bought by Facebook. Yep. They're Did kind he leave of like Facebook. I think he left Facebook, and I, th- I don't know if he's working on this, but I saw him talking about or tweeting about like. You know, we really could just go put solar panels into space and harness the sun's energy that way and then beam it to the earth or something crazy. Like, <laughs> what would it take to, like, you know, throw, a, a, you know, a giant set of solar panels Elon into space? Style. and then, Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Like this, you know, people <laughs> with brain power, you know, 10 orders of magnitude more than mine. I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't even I can't tell if you're joking or if you're serious. You're probably serious. And it sounds like a joke to me. That's how big the knowledge gap is here. Yeah.
1: What's super exciting to me on this is um, I have a friend who, who just started a company um, that, like, there's – I mean, this is a, a double-edged sword, but it's just reality. Like, the problems are finally starting to get real with climate. Like, I think one of the reasons why there's no good funding structure for it and clean tech failed and all this is just, like, everybody knows that this, like, wave of awfulness is coming, but, like, nobody <laughs> right, feels it coming. yet, you know? but but the tip of the spear is fires in California. Like those are real, real problems that we're all like, like can't go outside. Like it's just terrible. And like people are losing their homes and properties. So I have a buddy who, um, started a reinsurance business for, uh, for fire risk in California. And he's like, yeah, the insurance industry is like so backward on this. They use old stochastic models, uh, from like past history of like, there's a terrible fire in California once every 30 years. It's like, no, happens every year now so like right. okay <laughs> let's deal with this problem and like that's that gonna be a, like a great way to, company
2: that that's gonna be a great value capture mechanism <laughs> i don't know yeah. i mean well, how also, does that help like, us not burn down the planet well it's <laughs> like there's a
1: but there's a there's a serious but like you can't get insurance for fire in a lot of places in california right. anymore so like this is a serious problem like
2: yeah so it's a way to address the symptom of a problem and it makes you know what the you also can't get insurance less for? painful for lots of people but it's still not true, addressing true. the problem.
0: Right. You're not solving the, the fire problem. You're, you're solving the, my house burned down problem. True, <laughs> true. And I'm, I'm shit Which out of luck. Is
2: great and admirable to solve downstream problems. But yeah. Right.
0: Uh, also speaking of insurance, I tried to get insurance for an e-commerce business I own. And, um, Dude, you can't get e-commerce insurance. I don't know what oh, the hell's going on. You can't really? get business insurance for e-commerce. It was so painful. I thought I'm gonna start typing the word biz, and then Google's gonna be like, "Oh, you want business insurance? Cool. Here, <laughs> here's ten leads that will just call you incessantly." <laughs> and instead, it was the opposite. It was like business insurance, you know, for e-commerce business. Uh, called twelve different companies, emailed a bunch of them, and they're just like, "Oh, do you, you know, is your product?" Um, Oh, it's e-commerce. It's not physical retail. Oh, that's going to be tough. And then they're like, you know, do you, is it manufactured in China? I was like, everything's manufactured in China. What are you talking about? And then they're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be really, really tough. Uh, it's, it's like You're it's like, like, who is this for then? Is the right. Broad, I was like,
1: like, what's the, why, why is they, it going to be tough? And
0: I, so they would just email me. They'd be like, we don't, uh, unfortunately, we can't, uh, we can't find any underwriters that will underwrite for this business and i was like i haven't even told you anything specific or scary i've just said <laughs> e-commerce and made in china and like those are the that's everything that's most things you know as far as i'm concerned uh, and they were just like yeah we don't do much e-commerce i was like who does fucking e-commerce then and so i don't know if i'm just a terrible googler or how does uh, shopify what?
2: not have a preferred partner for this
0: yeah i like, don't know how does shopify not just provide this as a service it's, it's like, totally like a, you know totally. it's a nice like, high margin this like could float a bunch of insurance their insurance
2: is the best
1: business ever we're we're um uh so, well, okay i won't spoil i won't do a spoiler alert. i'll do a teaser our prop- the mere fact
2: that you said you won't do a spoiler alert means people are going to know what we're talking about Well, uh, we're, we're going to do a,
1: a, a probably our season finale this year on acquired is going to be a well-known insurance business uh but it's like people it's the best business in the world you get free money right they literally yeah, just it, like it, you get money that you can invest that you have to pay and, back and t- at some point but it's free money
2: and to continue, David, because you've given away so much of the story now that like we may as well round it off. Like, If you have a large insurance business that allows you to have a nice big float, you can invest that float in other things. And it's right. if you're a good is capital Buffett allocator, normal, right? it's, yeah, it's an amazing way to just go buy a bunch of other businesses, make more investments in non-insurance products. It actually seems like a no-brainer for Shopify because they do want to build more and more and more technology, and that's going to cost cash. Right.
0: Uh, And if it's not Shopify, then somebody needs to go do, like, ClearBank for e-commerce insurance and do it extremely well. I know there's – I I finally got one provider, but um, the fact that it took me – the fact that I even had to try means somebody – you know, there's money on the table for someone somewhere, uh, you know, for this type of thing. Um, Okay, so let's go back to – I think the thing you said is really, really interesting. It really resonated with me when you said the – you know, if your friends are going to Denny's at at 2 in the morning – Uh, Like just go with them. Like that's literally the best career move you can do. Um, I totally agree. I fucked this up a ton. Like in college, like I would, I wasn't really even excelling in class, but I always just thought, okay, class is where I should go. That's where the value is gonna be, right? That's what I'm supposed to be doing, and I ignored all these people. I actually literally laughed at a whole bunch of people who I knew were just like working on random shit. They weren't going to class. They weren't going to parties. They were just like building. And like now, I'm like begging them to invest in their companies here in Silicon Valley because I'm like, oh, dude, sorry, I like, you know, you know, made fun of you in the hallway. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, you went to Duke, right?
1: I went to Duke. Were you yeah, with um, with uh, Stephen from Cameo. Uh,
0: yeah, he was a couple years older than me. Yes, and he was actually the funny thing is Duke is this school in Durham, and Durham's not a not at the time at least really, wasn't a very cool city. So there was only one. Club that anybody could go to, one off-campus bar, basically called Shooters. Yeah,
2: shooters, and oh, I've been I, to
1: Shooters several times.
2: Uh, did you go to Duke?
1: Uh, my wait, David, uh,
2: why have you been to? Yeah, <laughs> I. I yeah, this have is
0: like small bar a in wedding
1: at the Duke <laughs> Gardens. Uh, my okay, uh, gotcha. My sister and brother-in-law uh, went to Duke, so we go to visit them a bunch of times, and then and then they got married. Gotcha. There, so
0: yeah, so of course they take you to Shooters because it's of the course. only fucking place to go. So Stephen from Cameo shooters in, uh, at the Wayne time Manor, was, My
1: my brother-in-law was in Wayne Manor.
0: Right, right. So he used to just host parties at Shooters. He was just like a party promoter. So I literally knew this guy as like, you know, fuck boy number one. As like just throwing parties at Shooters. Just he was always like texting people, you know, trying to hype up parties. He was good he was. at it. I love it. And um and now he's like CEO of like a billion dollar company. Um, and but it's you know, a perfect he, it, he's company great. for him to be CEO. So of. Great. Like
2: that is it. It pattern matches perfectly.
0: Exactly. So uh, yeah, he he's a funny guy. Uh, anyways. Forgot where I was going with this, but I guess what I was going to say is the follow your follow your smart friends. So step one, have smart friends that actually do this kind of thing, and I think that's if you just do that, you're ninety percent of the way there. And then the last ten percent is like listen to them and follow them and like mm. be be interested in their things that seem just like random toys right now, uh, because they will probably become big deal. You know, one of those is going to become a big deal soon. And so um, I'll throw out three that I I've seen as trends amongst my friends. I have basically tech friends, and then I have, like, smart business friends. So of the top 1% of my friends, the tech friends are all about GPT-3, and they're all about uh, DeFi, which is the sort of crypto infrastructure uh, for – they're doing things that, like – I don't think these guys own a stock, but they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, in this – DeFi system where I'm staking and I'm yield farming and I'm like, you know, creating these really complex lending mechanisms yeah. and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> when did you turn into a finance guy? And it's because all of a sudden, engineers who like money are like, oh, I can use my engineering to make a lot of money. I bet they, and and the, and
1: the crypto uh, boom probably fueled this because people were just like making millions of dollars. I'm like, oh,
0: shit. Well, they're all flush with cash. Uh, they're all flush with with not cash. They're oh, all flush with wealth yeah. that is in <laughs> yeah. Ethereum or is in Bitcoin or random ass you know shitcoin, and um, and so they don't want to take it out. They're not ready to like leave the crypto game, but they're like, well, I you know I was just trying to invest ten thousand into Ethereum and now I have one point one million. So uh, okay, cool. This is a way I can stake my Ethereum or I can lend Ethereum and I can get twelve percent a year. You know, doing this, so, you know, this is great. And oh, I can man. kind of control the whole thing from
2: my terminal and my computer. Like that's awesome. It's the same game that like multi-generational wealth have been playing within trusts in the U.S. for, you know, a couple hundred years. But now like these crypto millionaires have the exact same problem of like, I'm sorry, I have to pay what taxes if I pull this out into cash? Well, how do I roll it into something that just kind of can spit off exactly as much cash as I need to live and I can leave it as an illiquid asset the rest of the time? Exactly. Exactly. Like, you know...
0: Th- that is that is what's happening and wow. so maybe maybe more stuff needs to get built that's the equivalent of a of a trust or like the 1031 exchange of crypto like <laughs> uh, you know i think that, that's where a lot of potential is like this is why the ico boom happened was so many people had made so much money off bitcoin and ethereum and right. you know to them they're still thinking about their 10 to twenty thousand dollar investment but now it's 200 500 700 a million dollars you know um and so they were like, okay, cool. Maybe I could do that again. Like first con- false confidence that I could do that again. I could invest in this new small thing and it could it also skill, give a million luck. dollars. Right. Exactly. It was skill, not luck. And then the other is I don't want to pull this out. And so you had just, it's like when the Fed pumps in a bunch of money and the stock market goes up, that's basically what happened for crypto and why there was so much slush money to put into random ICOs.
2: Love it. Huh. All right. New ideas, opportunity zones for crypto millionaires. Do you know yeah, about exactly. the tax treatment on that on uh, opportunity? I've, zones? Been,
0: I've been hunting for ways to avoid paying taxes over the past you know, year and uh, people keep telling me about opportunity zones and how I should be investing in them. Um, and I only understand 20% of it so far.
2: I, I'll give you the, a very small amount that I know for sure and leave everything else unsaid so I don't say anything something wrong, but I know you can roll appreciated stock in which I think is similar to a ten thirty one exchange without paying tax on it, so it's a, a new investment. Um, and then I think if you can defer your capital gains taxes for another ten years, and right. and maybe and then there's some bonus on top of that. That's like if you leave it in for ten years, then there's some additional favorable tax treatment on top of that. So it's like. Um, there's a lot of benefits to doing it. So
0: wow. let's combine the climate change and tax idea here into one, uh, with an idea wow, I've been trying to, I've been noodling on. I actually have said this on the podcast before, but I need to say it again because I'm still thinking about it, which is uh, not true of 99% of the ideas I say. Um, so one of the best simple ways to, uh, reduce your tax burden, um, is, uh, to, uh, is to do a solar installation, right? So there's, um, A solar tax credit that the government gives, and um, and so you know you have a house, you put solar panels on. Yes, you pay the upfront investment, but then you save on your utilities, and you get the tax credit that you can use to you know um, eliminate a whole bunch of your your earned income. So essentially, you can do it for free as long as you have the money to put up upfront. And um, so I've been looking to basically. Do this now. I don't have. I don't want. I need something bigger than just my house, right? Your house might have like I don't know a thirty thousand or fifty thousand dollar project. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's like, what do you do if you need to? What, can I get like a million dollars of tax credits uh, for this? Like, can I do I 000, 000 a million dollars worth of solar? I want a farm, yeah. And so I uh, I was driving with my father in law, and he was like, uh, he was telling me about this. He goes, yeah, you know, like on every school, you see these solar panels on the parking like garages or just like kind of out, outside of the school and he's like yeah this is part of like chevron energy like chevron installs all these and um and i and from what i gathered was they have both a kind of a service provider. Like they're a vendor. They get paid for that. But the bigger thing is that they'll be like, "Hey, school, you don't need to put up two million dollars for this solar installation. We will do it, Chevron. You know, out of our profits from oil and gas." Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So they get to say they're doing clean energy things. They get to reinvest profits into something that they're going to be able to get favorable tax treatment on. They get to help a school have solar solar power, and um, and then they become sort of a long term you know uh, landlord of the of a uh, 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 Lessor, I guess, of the solar panels, and the school pays like kind of a small monthly fee, but they are they are from day one, you know, saving money on their, their utility bill. So for them, it's like a net gain, anyways, even yeah. if they pay for this, they're just paying less for the utilities. So I was mm-hmm. thinking, why isn't there a marketplace where I can I don't have to buy a building and like do this whole solar pl- plan, but I just say dollars. Please invest that into the solar projects for me, and give me my tax credits back, um, and give me my kind of monthly recurring income from this. This is going to go on some farm in you know Idaho. Yeah,
2: yeah, like a mutual yeah, fund
1: for this.
0: It's an exactly. asset manager.
2: Yeah. It solves the same problem of like I don't want to do the dirty work of of finding those investments and operationally putting the money in, but like I will pay you something. Exactly. So on on
0: one side you have the sort of supply of project, or let's say supplies capital, and then the demand is people who want solar, and like whether this is commercial buildings, schools, farms, factories, whatever places that need that that could use solar that don't want to put a quarter million dollar investment into their solar, they're like they they are going to buy another machine to like run their factory better or whatever, Uh, but they're happy to take a lower utility bill. And they're happy to, you know, and then on your side, you're happy to get you know monthly income plus tax credits. So seems like there's the a business credit. there. But and the net is yeah, exactly. And, and we're helping the environment. So so I like all of that. Now somebody who's more knowledgeable than me probably in five seconds could tell me why this is not a viable thing. But uh, for now, I'm going to say it out loud until somebody points that out or builds it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
1: Well, this is part of. Um... I don't know the exact history, but you know, Solar City looked a lot more like this before it combined mm-hmm. with Tesla, um, which was weird, you know, all in and of itself. But um, uh, but now I think Tesla's solar projects are much more about um, the roofs and uh, right. uh, solar roofs and, and
0: power right, walls. For sure. Um, okay, climate. Uh, climate's one. Um, the other one I said was buying businesses, so going more of the forget this venture capital game. I'm just going to buy all these profitable businesses or internet, internet or our, our mutual buddies. Yeah. Tiny, uh, capital, Tiny capital, capital is kind of like probably the thought yeah. leader and has the longest running track record of doing this of, of like kind of people who are public on Twitter about it. But then there's others like constellation software and, you know, there's a whole bunch of different, different folks that do this. Um, but a lot of my smart friends are going down this path of, Hey, I'm going to buy and then build rather than, play the lottery and hope I find product market fit with a brand new invention.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I also think so, so many people, it became so sexy to be an early stage, to use the finance term, an early stage manager or an emerging manager, uh, or as people would call it, maybe solo capitalists in the sort of startup parlance, um, or do a rolling fund or something like this, that there's been so much of a rush to, I want to invest in my friends and relationships who are starting early stage companies that we're now into year five or so of the boom of that and people realizing how crazy hard it is to produce a market beating return or you know let's let's say better than that it's a top decile top quartile return for your investors um that unless you're really really differentiated and i think most people are kidding themselves on how differentiated they are in in the deals that they have access to unless you're incredibly differentiated you probably should go play a lower beta game where uh, you can put in some sweat equity like having to use your PM or dev talents to rehab a business that is available to you for a below market price. But like i i just think uh much like the way we started this podcast talking about classic entrepreneurship versus um you know shoot your laser at the sun and hope, <laughs> i don't know what i'm talking about there but go big or go home uh, <laughs> uh i was trying to make a metaphor that totally didn't work <laughs> yeah, uh, like a Like <laughs> i know right that that it's uh I think people are just realizing how crazy hard it is. And they're like, wait a minute. If what I'm trying to get is an X percent annualized return, gosh, I know way better ways of doing that that don't involve this crazy.
0: power." Yeah, I I, I think that's true. If you wanted uh, if you wanted a if if I was saying, hey, I have to over the next seven to 10 years, I have to end up with this amount of wealth or I die. um, That's the path I would go. Right. Because I'm like, okay, it's really de-risking the market fit side and it's all about execution and growth. Um, And because the financing is so favorable, right? Like most people don't realize this. Most people, a lot of people listening to this are working at a job and they make a great salary, right? They might be making $200,000 a year. And then they're paying kind of like, you know, income tax on that. And now they're, you know, taking home 120 or whatever it is. And yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, what most people fail to realize is that for – either z- no money down or like kind of like you know you could put down five to ten percent you can buy a million dollar business with an sba loan yeah. and by the way if you buy it before september 27th either first six months are going to get paid for you by the sba so you, you first six months payback is, is taken care of and um you know er- Not to mention seller financing. Including the seller is going to carry 10% of it themselves. So that's how you get to the 15% down total. You put five, they put 10, and then the SBA loan covers the rest. And every month you're going to be making, you know, you're going to be making a profit on. You're going to half the half the profits are going to go towards paying back your loan. The other half are going to go to you. Within twelve months, you paid off that whole thing. And oh, by the way, if you improved operations doing one of three stupidly obvious things, uh, you know, you've now created an asset that is worth two, three times what you bought it for. And um, that path, it's like buying a house, except the mortgage
1: is like. You know, instead of you paying the mortgage. Yes, exactly.
0: Save. Exactly, and and unlike a house, it can appreciate at a rate that is uncommon. I have a friend who bought a business, I think for three hundred thousand. You know, on one of these websites, he was the first guy I knew. I was like, you fucking buy off these random ass websites, like. You know, you love it. Yeah. You Use go to these and stuff like that. He's like, oh yeah, I bought a bunch of stuff. I'm like, what? And, uh, it's because he didn't have connections. And so I was like, he's like, I didn't have funding and I didn't have connections. So I just go to these places where I don't need a reputation or connections and I can get funding from these like very simple pools of capital. Um, but I have to buy profitable businesses. Otherwise nobody will lend me the money. Um, so I'm not taking big risks. And so he brought this company that was small, but profitable, and that company's gonna do, you know, thirty million this year in revenue. So he's gonna literally take it from three hundred thousand He yeah, so he basically hundred X this business and, and I was like, dude, tell take me back. When you were looking at this business, what was the I was like, first, this is very uncommon. You don't usually get this type of, of lift. But I was like, did you know that there was this much room? He's like, yeah, I talked to the owner. And he was like, just always thinking about operations and how to like sh- doing the shipping and the warehousing. He'd never ran a Facebook ad. You know, he, he never did any marketing. And um, and also, mm-hmm. you know, his SEO was a little screwed up. And I realized that, you know, he, there's a lot of like latent potential there. Um, and then also he didn't expand right. in any adjacent like pro- – he didn't launch one new product in four years. And so, you know, just Facebook ads plus new product plus, you know, improving the content SEO game and like just this insane lift. Like he'll sell this company for over
2: $100 million that he bought on one of these like Flippa type websites. It's insane. Oh, my God. Wow. Sean, I'm curious, like, do you think there is an opportunity to um, if your skill set is like amazing growth marketer to get really surgical about running? Ads against other people's products and trying to get data back from, like, oh my God, right. I know something they don't <laughs> send them traffic. And- uh, like it's hard because you don't own the pixel on their website. But maybe as a part of like, hey, I'm interested in doing the deal. Would you throw this pixel on so I can test some stuff and then I can tell you. Yeah, I think I that's a great to way to
0: diligence things. Um, but honestly, you, you don't even have to get that smart. So like there's a lot of these that they're just not doing one channel. And if you know that that channel works, if you have experience in that channel, let's call it Facebook ads or Google AdWords or mm. uh, influencers or whatever, whatever's your 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 growth thing. And you, you know the characteristics of the type of business that works there, right? So let's say it's Facebook. You know that the types of products that work are like scroll-stopping products. Like it has to be visually appealing. You have to understand the value through a visual in less mm. than three seconds.
2: The slow-mo yeah. of the Theragun beating against Exactly. The thigh, like making a the woman's ripples, ass, like, ass in yoga pants. Uh, it does well.
0: Like a baby. It does well. Like these things just do well on social networks. So you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to do that and maybe – a little less, like I don't know, some other like some B two B thing that's not gonna uh, resonate in the same way.
2: The spreadsheet, right, will <laughs> right, exactly. the spreadsheet your life.
0: beating against your leg doesn't do the same. Oh, uh, what are those? Uh, <laughs> do you guys get these
1: ads of like two MIT grads? You know, are got together? Dude, and, all my like, ads are crazy
0: because it's only for businesses that I'm looking at buying, and so I just like I like try to get myself <laughs> covered in their pixels, and then I'm like, yes, retarget me. I want to watch everything you're doing, and I want to see your ads and all this stuff. Uh, so Facebook thinks I'm like a 40 year old woman. i just
2: picture you bathing in yeah, exactly. pixels. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. like so, <laughs>
0: um, so anyways, I think if you know the channel really well, it's really not that risky to, to know, you'll know which type of products will work and you just know are, how much have they invested into doing this channel. Okay. You can sort of think about the lift you're going to get. You could say, Hey, I'd love to love, love to run a trial, but what you risk is educating the operator of how good this is going to work. Right. Um, and and so I th- you know I think it's uh, a little bit dangerous to do that, and you're better off you know betting on yourself in that in that way. There's other kind of funny ways you could do it, but I won't go into those that are slightly in the gray area. <laughs> I love it.
2: Well, uh, as another topic, I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. steal the baton here a little bit and say, uh, Sean, are you open to telling us a little bit about the yeah. story of Bebo? Because I think listeners have acquired. Uh, Probably don't know your background and might know an element or two of that story, but I think getting a little bit of uh of context around sure. all that would be really fun. Yeah.
1: Have you even told it on on no, your
0: show? Uh, I haven't, and the, you know one of the reasons why was initially. Uh, I was pretty worried because, you know, when you get acquired, there's, like, these, like, pretty strict, like, what you can disclose and not disclose. So, so I've sort of over time figured out, okay, I can't yeah. say certain numbers. That's fine. No problem. But I could just generically tell the story of what our company was and how this all came about and the kind of twists and turns of the story. The hard part is I'm the host, so it's always awkward. Like, what am I going to interview myself? Like, uh, so this is perfect. You guys can ask me questions. No, this is a great word so <laughs> well, You have two interviewers. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I could, I could tell the story. So the company... Uh, so one of the companies that we're that I can talk about is, is Bebo, which is the company that uh, most recently I ran. And Bebo actually has a really funny story, at, and I only came in kind of at halftime. So I'll tell the first half of the story, but the key disclaimer is I was not the CEO and founder during that first period, uh, which was a way bigger exit. I wish I was the CEO and founder back then, but it was my my partner, Michael, <laughs> was the CEO and founder of that time. So for those who don't know – With his wife, that? Sochi, right? Michael and Zochi, husband and wife wife, duo, who had built multiple companies together, actually, and Bebo was their sort of biggest hit. Um, And so I'll tell kind of the the quick version, then we can dive in. So the quick version is, did you know there was this company back in the day when MySpace and Facebook were, you know, uh, taking off? Facebook at the time was still in colleges. MySpace was actually the biggest network and was famous, and celebrities, musicians were all using it. And so... Uh, Michael, when he tells me this story, because I've asked him a bunch of times, like, you know, dad, can you tell me, like, what was it like back then? Uh, like, tell me these internet war stories. And so he was telling me, he's like, initially I was, um, actually, let me finish the short, short version. I'll tell you the whole thing. So the short version is built a social network called Bebo, got really popular, but it became clear to him that Facebook was going to win this war. And that, like where he was now was like more like the top and was like, look, I should start looking at, is there an exit here for us? Uh, because I'm not sure that, What's that? What year is this? When? This might have been 2007, 2008. Uh, I think the deal closed in 2008. So probably let's say 2007 started thinking along these lines. Uh, Facebook had been out Mm -hmm. for three years, had expanded out of colleges, I think at this point and um, was at high school level, I think. And so basically it was like, look, we've built a cool product, but man, uh, we're, and was, Bebo was big in certain markets like Europe, New Zealand, you know, like UK, if you're in Ireland, Ireland, like yeah. you know, Bebo was like more trafficked than than Google at the time, and so um, decides to sell, sells the company for 850 million dollars to AOL. Huge exit at the time, sold for more than MySpace did, and um, and so amazing exit for Michael and Zochi, and they went on to do a whole bunch of great things, both philanthropically as well as in business. And they own 70. They own 70 of, the of the company then, at, right? at the exit uh, because of and I I, I, and I just want to paint. I was just gonna say I'll, oh, I'll go, go into me. why they were able to own that, and, and, and at the be- at, if we want to go into that detail too. But so they sell it then. Fast forward a few years, Facebook takes over the world. AOL basically writes off Bebo kind of like a year and a half later as like a tax write off of like it's worth nothing to us now. You know, we we, we write it as, as essentially zero. Um, product kind of dwindles obviously, and f- now it's five six years later. Um, Michael comes to me, and at this time I'm. Uh, I'm running his idea lab. So a startup studio that he had built that he was basically funding him and Zochi were funding themselves. Michael originally was the CEO. um, And then I joined to work with him. I came to San Francisco to work with him. And then a few months later he put me in charge of the lab. He's like, I'll go to the board and I'm going to, you know, me and Zochi, we're going to do cool billionaire shit. Like you go run this thing. Uh, And I was like, Hey, more power to you. That's what I would do too. (laughs) I don't know if I would bet on me. I'm like a 25 year old kid, but like, you know, uh, thank you. I'll try my best. And, um, he comes to me at a certain point and he says, Hey, you know, we actually have the opportunity to buy Bebo back. I heard, you know, he, Bebo had traded hands. So a private equity guy had bought it off of AOL. He had invested in that and he knew that had gone nowhere. That guy didn't even really do anything. And then he's like, he knew it was going to go into bankruptcy and it was going to get bought by somebody. And he's like, we have the opportunity to buy it back. Would you be interested? We're already building social kind of consumer products. Anyways, that's the point of the lab. Maybe we could use this brand name maybe we could use the email list maybe we could use the servers i don't know whatever whatever's there would this help us in any way you know get better distribution for one of our product ideas so the again this is the the longest short story i've ever told we go buy it back for, we go buy Welcome it back for acquire. a million dollars <laughs> and so we go to this crazy ass auction i can talk about but buy the buy the company back for 1 million so sold for 850 bought for ba- bought it back for 1 and then a couple years later, we now sold it again. Uh, you know, to uh, to Twitch. We got acquired by Twitch, and which is owned by Amazon. And so, uh, I'm currently and, at Twitch.
2: And when you're buying for one, does it, does it come with like all of the data it's ever had, like all the email addresses from every? Uh, epoch it of the comes company? with whatever's still there.
0: So some shit gets lost along the way. You can't recover that. But, <laughs> but yes, in theory, in theory, yeah. So we got like a 80 million person email list, which was one of the assets. Now. What we found when we got that email, eighty million EBA list was, hey, it looks like this email list might have been bought and sold before or something because this is not this does not have a great oh, no. sort of sender you know, send rating. Essentially, the other thing, the other key component was, Bebo had started back when Hotmail and AOL were like the rage, and then Gmail came and everybody switched, and so what we had was. Essentially, 80 million emails of which, you know, approximately 40 million were like yeah. my teenage hotmail address that I never check and will bounce or, or just go go um, <laughs> go into or the AOL abyss. Emails or and um, so that turned out to be a lot less useful. Um, <laughs> what the funny thing I don't know how much of this I can share, but the funny thing is one of the things in buying it was we actually bought two assets the, we bought the company and that brand and the the domain and the email list and all that stuff for a million bucks but in that same auction we bought the sort of legal rights to sue the previous owner for I don't know fifty thousand that actually they won a, they won the, the the case they won the suit for like multi you know multiple millions of dollars and so that asset turned out to be really really valuable and have a great roi and no then the way. domain and the email list turned out to be a little <laughs> less valuable than we originally had hoped wow
1: did um did you guys use a, a to our previous conversation an sba loan no it was in, you in, know uh, in financing the michael and zochi were like
0: hey straight cash you know i, I, I don't <laughs> think it, it would have qualified necessarily <laughs> right buyer. it didn't have positive cash flow it didn't have a lot of things that you would need and it was kind of a hairy deal going through bankruptcy so you needed to be an all-cash buyer to to buy it yeah
2: and so i cut you off a little bit take it so uh uh where is it eventually now and how did it
0: get there and why? <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me try to make that up. Where is it eventually now? Uh, so we got acquired now. Um, and so the whole team that was working on it is now, uh, you know, the majority of the team, uh, 90, 95% of the team is at Twitch and uh, got yeah. bought because we had built a whole bunch of things. So one of the things where we bought it, I'll, I'll kind of tell the story, it's kind of interesting entrepreneurial story. So when when we were going to buy it, I got split opinions. I asked a few smart friends, hey, do you think we should buy this back? And 50% of people were like, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Like, internet companies don't get revived. Uh, that's, like, not really a thing. Um, the brand is stale. It might be more baggage than it's worth. It's going to be constant confusion if you're launching a new thing under that old brand name. Um, and, you know, you don't need it. Uh, well, why would you pay for this? Go Go put the million dollars into ads and you'll get the same amount of users. And then the other people were like... I don't know what's going to happen, but what a challenge. What fun if you did it. And you are also going to get a lot of kind of people who are curious to check out what it became, whether they're actually going to adopt it or not. Yeah. You're going you know, to, the analogy is like, you know, you go back home to your parents, you know, to your original, you know, to your your parents' house when you're after you're, you're 30 years old and they say, hey, we renovated your old bedroom. And you're like, oh, I want to go see what you do with my stuff. What What does it look like now? That's essentially what we.
2: Dude, I downloaded the dig reader in 2016 of course i right did. I exactly had to see what they even did if dig.
0: you come in thinking i'm never going to fucking use dig you want to see what are they trying to do with dig and <laughs> laugh at it so we were like okay at the very least we'll get that uh better than complete obscurity i suppose um and so when we bought it we did one smart thing which was we, we had some predefined ground rules we're not going to make just bring it back as another social network like we had seen myspace try that and we're like no that game is over facebook has won that game don't try to be like hey we're cool again 10 years later like that doesn't work um, we also didn't have a new product. And so, but we had to close the deal given the timeline of the acquisition. We had to close the deal and we had to announce it and we had to turn off the existing product because it was going to cost a whole bunch of money every month to run. Oh, and so we, this. Yeah, we were like, yeah. okay, we're going to do three things. First, we're going to turn it off. Second, we're gonna preserve the SEO because it has amazing SEO, um, and so we're like, how do we lower the cost by hundred X while keeping the SEO, the everybody's profile page alive? Because you Google someone's name, their Bebo profile was like in the second or third. Yeah, so we static created pages. these like static frozen pages that would that would remain you know uh, indexable. I don't know anything about it, but one of our engineers was like. Nine engineers in the room were like, there's no way. And then our youngest engineer was like, well, why don't I just do this? And then all the other engineers were like begrudgingly like, well, yeah, if we just want to do that, we could do that. And I'm like, well, that accomplishes the goal. Of course we want to do that simple thing that accomplishes our goal. Anyways, so shout out to Quinn for for coming up with that. Uh, The last thing was we came up with this video. We shot it in a weekend and it was basically like an announcement video of, hey, the original founders bought it back. We're going to bring it – We and it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. So we were actually – it looked like a serious corporate stock video of like, hi, I'm Michael, you know, and I'm the original founder of Bebo. You know, <laughs> we had this vision. And over the years, you know, it grew. And But then he – you know, like the video uh, starts to make fun of the old Bebo. It's like, you know, we had great times and is basically pointing fun at like, you know – people used to like just, you know, go on each other's profile page and draw dicks like on the whiteboard feature. And so that was like, he's like, we have the largest repository of hand-drawn dicks uh, on the internet. And so this video kind of goes viral, which was our hope. So while the 80 million email list was dirty and pretty much unusable, we couldn't send from it. um, We got a million new people to sign up to see what's the new Bebo. And uh, we were like, okay, that's cool. And they signed up thinking like, this is funny. I like this guy. Um,
1: this is like the, uh, the exactly.
0: Product. That was our intent. Now it wasn't as successful as that, but we, it was close. And, um, so that was the, that was the, that was the goal there. And, um, then we were like, okay, well, we still don't know what product we're going to do. And I was still sort of of the mindset of, we need to like <laughs> test. We don't want to come back with this big bang and we don't know, you know, that's a one shot thing. So I was like, I started creating a little sub list, you know, groups of 10,000, 50,000 people that was like, Hey, do you want to? Tr- we're going to launch three new things. I want you to try them. You're, you're going to be our focus group. You're going to tell us if this is any good or if this is dog shit. And uh, whatever comes out of this will be the new Bebo, but you're sworn to ultimate secrecy and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so we created these little lists and we launched different products to them. And we, you know, one was this messaging app with crazy avatars that look like Bitmoji. And then this other one was Blab, which you used, uh, which is like this video chat platform. And then yeah. and we were launching them under other names to test them first. And the idea was if, if it ever works, we'll, we'll, branded as b we'll email the whole list um the last thing we did was we took um the live streaming tech we had built and we built a esports platform where you would uh we built essentially high school esports so um you, the way you can go play in a football league or a soccer league or a, base, a baseball league as a high school student
2: it's like what just the like they were doing.
0: our competitor um and so you could sign up to be in a Fortnite league. And we were like, dude, Fortnite's more popular than baseball. Like there should for sure be a, play, a, way, a way to join a team for your school uh, or as a high schooler and play with other high schoolers and compete and play in tournaments. And because we had built all this streaming tech, we were like, this is cool. Like not only are you playing, but your friends or your family can watch uh, watch you play. And um, so that was really cool. And we, we were running the biggest high school esport league in the country at the time. And then, uh, you know, a couple of the platforms, you know, came knocking and we told them, hey, look, honestly, I, you know, I'm a realist. Like, this is cool. The, the students love it. And the platforms are happy because we're bringing on tens of thousands of new young teenage streamers for streaming for the first time who would have never otherwise streamed because they don't want to be a streamer. They just want to play in tournaments. And they're, they're like, now they're getting yeah. the joy, and the, the thrill of streaming for the first time. And so we're like, all the value is accruing to them. We should go try to sell this to one of them. And so we went to YouTube and Facebook and Twitch and like all the others. And we basically said, hey, who wants to buy this thing? And uh, ran a process, a pretty tight process over like 45 days and closed a deal and ended up selling the company. And Dude. had
2: you already closed down the the other experiments at this point, or were no, was Blab we, still we did them like one at a time. A so thing. we had learned
0: that lesson the hard way running the startup studio in general, which is kind of like parallel entrepreneurship. Splitting focus is very very dangerous, not to be done unless you are someone much more skilled than me. And so we were doing one experiment all in, and if it didn't work, we would then cycle and pivot to the next thing. Uh, but we we, we had mm-hmm. shut them down by then. Which was hard, right? Blab had four million users it. and was sense. growing, and some people loved it and used it eight hours a day, and like, I got death threats, and you know, somebody. This is actually kind of funny. Somebody sent to the office a two hundred page uh, script for a play that was using my, me as the central character, my CTO as the second central character, and our designer, head of community, the other people whose names they knew, and it was a uh, a script of us being. You know, it's kind of like the office. It was like us being dipshits, like making bad decisions because they were so angry, we were shutting this down, that they sent oh us like God. a full that's play amazing. of our, uh, you know, total ineptitude. And um, I read the thing, and I was like, "Wow, someone took this much time to do this. That's that's awesome." <laughs> this is inc- wow. So why did why well, did you
1: shut that one down? Was it Was that like other messengers were just, you know, it was like a Facebook style situation? Or? I,
2: and by the way, can Please I take do. a stab yeah. at explaining Blab? To, uh, from my recollection, so. I guess the three modern comps would be, it's sort of like Zoom meets Twitch meets Clubhouse where it's like video collaborative chat in real time that right. has so, a broadcast so the,
0: component. It, the experience was like this. There's three of us on a Zoom call right now, right? Three little squares. And so we would be doing this, but where our chat is in the, you know, the side of Zoom, Zoom is just for private communication. Blab was public. It was like a talk show. So like we could have live people watching this, listening to this, typing in questions. We could pull the question and put it on the screen and address it. Anybody could call in like an old radio show and like join the conversation. And so it, it was like this kind of live, uh, you know, it was like if Google Hangouts had an audience or if Zoom had an audience, that was sort of the premise. And so mm-hmm. we we organically had a bunch of cool people use it. Like I said, the UFC used it when they wanted to do a virtual fight announcement. Um, we had Tony Robbins come on and do kind of he would let people call in tell them their problem. And he would like kind of help them workshop them live just like he does at his big, you know, 7000 person events. Uh, The Jonas Brothers did that with their fans. ESPN would use it every Friday for their basketball show. Um, But the problem was there was two groups of people using it. There was all those cool things I just talked about that make it sound legit. But those people would use it once a week for like an hour. They're like, okay, I'm doing my live interactive fan thing that's like hard to do. And like I'm on the spot, but like it's super deep connection with people. They love me if I do this. So I'll do it once a week for an hour. Fridays at three. Uh, That's when my live show happens. And so we were like, cool, Fridays at 3 are awesome. What happens every other hour of the day? Like how are we ever going to fill this up with good content? So then the –
1: You had the Facebook – Same same as as Periscope,
0: Facebook Live, Live, Meerkat, and we were all at the same time. Uh, Our thing was like they they were like a monologue, like you hold up your phone and you just talk, which we thought was really hard to do. We were like, dude, dialogue is way easier for people to create content, which was true. Um, But the hard part was – For any given category, like let's say business talk or sports or whatever, you had to have 24-7 interesting content to build a habit for a viewer to just come and show up when they're bored. Um, And if you just tried to get people to show up on demand, they were like, well, dude, I'm busy. Like the whole world is not like I don't show up on a schedule anymore. Like I order things when I want it and I get what I want when I want it. This is the Postmates era. Like, you know, I I don't want to have to show up when the creator decides to go live and I'm in the middle of dinner. And so that was always a challenge. And then the other side, we had people that just, they just use this as like, like you said, clubhouse, they just use it as a room to chill in. So they would just, people would meet each other, they would become friends. And then every day, some some number of them would get online and it would trigger notifications to the other friends. And then the party would just rage on all night and you would just dip in and out as you were free or or you were busy, you would leave and you'd come back and different set of people would be hanging out. So it was this hangout platform. And the cool thing about that was these guys were super sticky. So we wanted co- people on all the, all the time. They were on all the time. They would fall asleep on the platform. Um, but the problem with them was the core value they were getting was they were making friends. So they didn't bring any friends to the platform. So were, that side was not growing. The celebrities grew, but were totally you know using it one hour a week. The people using it forty hours a week right. brought no friends. Two different. And then those two basically. groups did not coexist at all. They didn't even understand why the hell they're on the platform. And so oh, that was crazy. the problem that we were never able to solve and why
2: we ended up pivoting. Wow. Wow. Okay, so I know we've got some, some limited time left here, so bring it home. So Twitch buys it what's the main reason like what's the repurposed asset here is it mostly the team or is there technology or learnings
0: anytime a company i i I always differentiate a company could either get bought or it's sold we were sold not bought uh bought is your instagram you're hot you're the next big wave everybody recognizes it and people are banging down your door trying to buy you we were sold in the sense of like i approached a bunch of companies and i understood i i through kind of conversations was able to suss out what are things that are important to them? What are their big top three strategic priorities as a company? And then is my little company an answer to any of those problems? <laughs> and I was fucking, <laughs> yeah. I it's was you know framework. doing some yoga poses to try to make that fit. Uh, where I was like, oh, you really yeah. care about this? You're doing, you're doing <laughs> instead of customer exactly. Industry, really so because I was like, I need to sell this company. Uh, it's not going to be the mega home run we think, but it, there is some value here. So I don't, I don't want to stay and work on a mediocre, th- medium sized business for five years nor do I want to just shut this down and, like, walk away from millions of dollars of value. Yeah. So I need to learn a skill I don't know, which is how to sell a company. And so I... W- I- God, which, by the way, is, like, long-time venture capital, like you are you are falling into
1: the eighty percent thick middle of entrepreneurs here exactly entrepreneurs. so the first thing I did was <laughs> this I asked six
0: entrepreneurs often. who had done this before I was like, hey, how the hell do I do this and they gave me some tips and they became what I call my deal doulas, which is like if you've ever had a baby like you know a doula somebody who helps you birth that baby and like these were the guys <laughs> yeah, yeah, who helped me birth this deal. They helped it you know go all the way from the, the the tough part of labor all the way to the happy part at the end um and so 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 essentially, I found out what their top strategic priorities were. Um, and what I re- at first I was trying to be really smart about this. Then I realized, oh, here's how this market works. You have Twitch, which is the market leader. And they have strategic priorities about how to grow their business. Those are very specific to Twitch. I got to find those out. And I took some people to beers and I asked a bunch of questions and sussed out that, oh, there's this program that they've realized. And it, it, I'll give you kind of the, the rundown, which was they were sort of in the category of Twitch has gotten really, really big in the same way that Netflix got really big. But then the content costs start to go up. People start demanding more money, right? Uh, famous streamers want more money. Uh, esports yeah. tournaments want money. Yeah, they want exclusive deals. deals.
1: deals. moves. Exactly, right? There. You got streamers yeah.
0: getting paid tens of millions of dollars to switch platforms so that b- drives up prices. So Netflix had a smart idea to create original content and like, hey, this is stuff we own. So I realized that Twitch really needed original content. Um, And it needed content that it could could basically not, it could could control its cost better and drive a ton of viewership. And internally, they had been practicing this, uh, they had been doing this program totally manually. So they had no technology to do it. But we were lucky that they themselves had been thinking similarly, had been running a program very manually and had come to the conclusion that, hey, this works, we need to scale this using tech. And then they looked inside the company, they're like, shit, where am I gonna get a leader uh, that i trust to do this really hard thing um, we need engineers that know how to build this and are, and, and we Nine need this now not there. like 18 months from now and so that's that's a great spot to get acquired in because you say hey i'm a leader if you if you meet me and you if you believe in me as a as a person you think i could be one of the you know 10 leaders of your company then you, the only way you can't hire me i'm an unhirable person you got to buy me yeah, to to get to get talent like that also, I come with twelve engineers that have been working on this for two years, and we've already gone through the learning curve and figured out everything you get the code and you get the learnings and then you know uh, in our case, we didn't have revenue or big user base that would matter to them, but they're like don't don't worry we already have revenue and users we just need the rest so I figured out for twitch that was the the kind of solution and for everybody else it was. I realized that the core problem was we wanna beat Twitch. So I was like, oh, this makes it really easy. I just need to pitch this as a way that you could potentially overtake Twitch. And um, I need to spin that story. And then I need to tell you that Twitch wants to buy, buy this. So that will automatically get you interested. And I And so that became the sort of game you play as an entrepreneur to try to get multiple uh. bidders involved. And part of it is persuasion, but you know, you can't just persuade, these are no dummies. These are CEOs of billion dollar companies. They know what the hell they're doing. So you, it's not about convincing of something that they don't want to do and making them do it. It's about finding out what they already want to do, positioning, our like cutting away the fat of our story into just being the solution for that. And then connecting on a personal level and saying, would I would you want me as one of the senior leaders of your company? Would you want me a kind of on your extended exec team? And if so, great, let's do a deal.
1: It's so funny. It strikes me. Well, we don't have time to go into it, but like that process is the exact same process of raising money from venture. You you want to have a hot round? You want to have VCs competing over your deal you do exactly right, right, what you exactly. said. Exactly. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Sean, I, I think we'd love to have you on the uh, LP show at some point for the to to be our deal doula <laughs> to help uh, help listeners understand like what are the levers you can pull, what are the ways that you can um, sort of message different things at different times in different parties. I know we don't have time for it today, but um, um, putting that aside, thank you for for sharing. Yeah, for the sure. Story. I, I kept
0: every email I sent and things like that because I was like. I want to help the next entrepreneur who's going to be like me needs this. This is seven years of effort that they just need to like cash in on and they need a successful outcome. Uh, They deserve it. But like they're going to be totally clueless. You don't get a ton of reps at doing this. And so how can I – I know when I Googled for it, I couldn't find jack shit. Everything was about – The bot use case, which is like, should I sell my hot company when I have all these offers or should I stay independent? Like, yeah, there's a ton of content about that because VCs love to talk about that and they'll tell you to stay independent. Um, And then this is the other side that, like, is a little bit less sexy, usually results in failure. But if you could thread the needle, it'll be life changing for you, your investors and your employees. Like, you know, there should be more content about this. and so. I I wouldn't make a course out of this probably because there's just not that many people who need to know this. Uh, it's like a very small, it's like a niche of a niche. But um, I saved it in case people knock on my door and they're like, "Hey, can you help?" I'm like, "Yeah, here here's some templates that I used and here's what worked for me."
1: Amazing, and, and now I got a podcast. podcast.
0: And that's actually how the podcast started. During the diligence period, I was, all, you know, the funny thing is when you're running your company, you just get so worn down. You're so tired over time, especially when it's not, you know, it's not a breeze when it's taken off or whatever, and. Then as soon as the sale process started, my creativity muscles just started firing again, started having all these ideas. And I was like, well, this is the worst time to have a startup idea is when I'm trying to sell my company. Uh, I need to like shut the lid on this and not get tempted to go start something. And um, so I was like, oh, maybe I could start something that's safe, a podcast. And so I started the podcast just for (laughs) kicks during that time to keep myself busy uh, because otherwise I was going to damage my own deal.
1: Little did you know (laughs) what it would become. (laughs)
0: Well, listen. This was Amazing. fun. Uh, good dual episode. I appreciate you guys coming on, and I feel like we didn't even get to half these ideas on the list. So there's definitely more ammo if we, we want to yeah. do this again sometime. So that's it. That's a wrap.